Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California. I'm Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project in New York City, and I am also the exhibitions coordinator for Marking Time, Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration, which is on tour right now. We'll be opening up at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, April 22nd, 2022. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I'm the opinions editor and a senior critic at Hyperallergic, and um, speaking to you from Newburgh, New York, in the Hudson River Valley. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um, and this week, we're going to continue and expand our conversation from uh, two weeks ago. I mean, last week was our note. So um, on Joe Rogan uh, and, you know, the it was a good conversation. We were kind of joking before the podcast that Steve didn't have a chance to jump in. But of course, it's not true. It's just <laughs> the way the conversation flowed. Um, so, but we wanted to make sure to give, uh, Steven some space cause he, between <laughs> Seth and I, I mean, he's definitely had the most experience with, with Joe Rogan and sort of being a listener and kind of following his career. Cause you had said Stephen, right. That you, you basically were listening to him before Spotify, right? So this I listened to him been... before Spotify, but then, so there was a period that I listened to Joe Rogan because it wasn't Joe Rogan. I was there because of folks that I wanted to hear more from. It was during my LSD, mm. um, <laughs> exploration phase. I haven't taken LSD, but I was curious about how people were talking about it today. So I did some research on it in the 50s. I feel like you're doing it wrong if you weren't taking it and you were doing right? research. No, I'm just it. listening to people. Well, <laughs> the thing is, no, I'm, I'm a little too shy right now, gun shy. I'm not, I can't, not right now. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking uh, okay, all right, okay, about this enough. idea. Never, of, never even seen it. Doesn't know anyone that's, sorry. Oh, no worries. And so I was thinking that the, um, how I came to Joe Rogan, as I mentioned, was through his guest. And then the podcast structure, the benefits of listening to Joe Rogan to me are, number, are a number of things I really like. One is, and you mentioned this, Travis, with regards to the more curated um, podcasts like New York Times and other places where, I mean, they just have too many hands in a pot in the sense that there's a sponsor, there are other you know legalities and all that. And I think with someone like a Joe Rogan, at least in his early stages, people would just talk. And I could put the conversation mm. on and listen to this person in in a American age kind of way, sort of try to work things out in real time. You know, they're here here are my ideas, this is what I'm doing. Joe Rogan, I wanna say he's an everyman man. So he's asking questions about like, when did you first start taking LSD mm -hmm. or when did you see your first UFO or when did you dot, dot, dot. And I was okay with that because then I can hear this one per the person just begin talking. You know, they, it wasn't like mm -hmm. reading an, uh, an article that had been um, cut or, and, and edited. It was this man or this woman just talking. I really like that. I thought yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. That, that space a lot. And so the, at, at times the conversations could be really engaging, you know, and, and I think that the count, what's interesting about the notion of Joe Rogan being an alt-right or, or is that there's a lot of counterculture in that earlier stuff. I'm not sure about his stuff now, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the kinds of guests he gets on and even what kind of, um, what he can and cannot do, right? In terms of what Spotify says, did you know, you, based on that. Hmm? Did you did you keep listening to him after he went to Spotify, or had you stopped listening to him by that point? I stopped listening to him long before he um, um, mm. went to Spotify. Not because of Joe Rogan or his guests. It's just that the other sort of podcast, the more curated podcast, say around. I'm listening to the Bowery Boys right now, which is you know about New York City history. In architecture, and I really love that kind of stuff. We're not specifically architecture, but they mention it. So I like getting to my point quicker. And then it's also mm. about time. So I think a good would be really great if we had someone, or had a friend who still who followed Joe Rogan to Spotify, because I didn't. You know, I still listen to some of the stuff yeah. that's on um, YouTube, the clips or what have you. From I love comedians like Tom Papa. Uh, Duncan Trestle, Mark Dorman. I like listening to these guys. I mm. might go listen to their stand up, get a clip, and then, you know, Joe Rogan will come up, you know, as he was a guest on the show. And mm. I'm like, 
I like that. That makes me happy. And then I, um, there was the last thing I wanted to say about um, the space that I think that kind of platform can offer is earlier on in our, our last podcast, we were saying, I don't have to be his audience. I'm not his audience and I don't have to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the listen, re-listening to that episode, I'm still in a space where I think the fallout is a fallout from living in a democratic society where we're trying to privilege as many voices as possible means that we're going to get it wrong. And it might be deadly. Mm-hmm. And it has been deadly in some cases in terms of people storming the Capitol or just getting wrong information about Absolutely. their health. Sure. But I stand by the, I'm not sure I'm ready to give up any control over the way that I'm building platforms and providing platforms and getting information mm-hmm. personally, but also my personally is everybody else too. So it doesn't like go, you can't talk because I don't like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Do you know? So I, mm-hmm. I ended there when I was thinking about the benefits of listening to Joe Rogan is that I think he fits within freedom, fries, you know, yeah. Flags. So, so I want to dump so, trucks, you know, dump, uh, <laughs> monster yeah. trucks, monster trucks. Yeah, dump, I was going to say dump, not not dump trucks, monster trucks. Yeah, monster yeah. trucks. Yes. Right. I, I, I want to say I want to say a couple of things about that, if mm-hmm. I may. Um, oh please. One is I happen to be teaching a course at the New York Times School right now, and mm-hmm. just yesterday, a course I should say, in art criticism, art criticism as storytelling. One of the things I'm doing in and through that course is talking about, well, yes, I'm talking about the difference between description, analysis, interpretation, and theorization. And we just had this conversation yesterday, and I said, essentially, my argument was that description can lead to analysis. Description is, in the, in the very crass, most crass terms, um, crassus, um, terms, um, it's just the what. So you just describe the thing that you see, the, the idea, the object, or the event. The analysis is, so what? Like, what, what's, what are the implications, what are the consequences of the thing you're describing? Mm-hmm. Right? Perceived, right? Interpretation, right, right. Interpretation, as I understand it, is taking that thing that you are talking about and have analyzed and, talk, and then you make it make meaning for you. So you say, in what way is this thing meaningful for me? What it sounds like to me, Stephen, is that mm-hmm. you like having the job of doing the analysis yourself. You don't want the interpretation by someone else. Oh, I think right? you're. So you, I think you're dead on. Yeah, I don't need an intermediary, the, and at times I do. Right. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know what that is. Tell me what that is. You know. But you're right. Generally, right, I right, resent right, the but, intermediary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So Joe Rogan, what Joe Rogan does is he basically just gives the person an opportunity to present their case, and then you do the analysis, breaking it down, la, la, la. Here's the thing I want to also say to the audience is that I didn't have a note this past week because some technical snafu and I couldn't figure out how to use GarageBand properly at age 51. So, you know, that's on me. Um <laughs> But but what I said on the note was that uh, it, the conversation with Joe Rogan has brought to the surface some real differences, and I think we've all kind of noticed these differences over time between, generally speaking, mm-hmm. I can put Travis and Stephen on one side of the ledger and me on the other in that I am actually more interested in, to an extent closing down some conversations rather than opening some up. Like, I'm super mm. interested in, like, can we just put a pin in this and move on? Like, like, yeah. quick, <laughs> quick, quick example. Like, the whole conversation about artist intention. It's like, I want to uh, say, and, and this is a much longer conversation, I know that, but we sort of mm-hmm. are already there. Like, I just want to say the author's dead. Can we please fucking move on? Like, what is this thing with, like, constantly going to artists and saying, well, can you tell us what you really meant by doing this? By, by wow. painting President Trump um, atop a, 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 a mountaintop with his, <laughs> with his sweat-stained chest thrust out to the Gross. sun. Like, what, what did you mean by that? Like, 
motherfucker, like, just do the work. Like, you, like, the thing exists outside of the artist. Like, why are we still having this conversation? I am, I am much more interested in, because probably I, I came from a really controlling household and I interjected some of that, but I'm super, I'm super mm-hmm. bored with certain conversations and I, and I want, I want to move on from them. I'm not actually, okay. I'm not excited by the free for all or the like freedom fries and, and chucker mm-hmm. convoys and, and yeah, I, I know what to do about my own healthcare and I don't need anybody telling me what to, like, I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm not, not interested. So- so can I can I just say that you have succinctly described why most of America fucking hates elites? Mm. Because that sense of I'm sick of you and don't want to listen to what you have to say emanates from us. It really does. It comes through loud and clear. And while I I have no doubt that you're willing to, I mean, not no doubt, you just did. Like yeah. in, in in conversation, that like we wear that. We're we're super 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 sophisticated primates. I was just talking to to uh, my wife about this. <clears throat> there is, I'm not going to use any names because I don't want to. You know, I mean, not that I don't think this would get back to the person, but I want to put this out in the universe, so it's fine in a co- in a in a car, but. Uh, Dean had a teacher, a former teacher, who uh, her name's Ann Coulter, <laughs> who read to me is not very bright. Um, just really, you know, you would talk to her, or you would, you know, you'd, you'd say something about Dean or or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or any of the other kids in class, because we used to, um, you know, we had plenty of contact with the classroom. Mm-hmm. And she just, it just wouldn't really register. It didn't seem like she was listening. And if you had, you know, this was not my favorite person in the world. Gotcha. Um, Yet when uh, uh, Molly follows this person on social media Mm -hmm. and their observations and in the stuff that they curate and that they choose to share Mm -hmm. is super sophisticated and Mm. absolutely like cutting and incisive Mm. as far as like sort of taking the piss out of like whatever the 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 kind of cultural narrative is of the moment. I mean, actually funny stuff, not mm-hmm. just dross that's kind of like mm-hmm. thrown out over and over again on social media. Mm-hmm. So clearly this person has some kind of aesthetic mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. reads very well and understands and, and understands how to kind of uh, find the diamonds in the rough. I don't mean okay. there's never a miscue, but I mean, it's it's often just like sort of funny. Um, so my, my, the average person, the average human, a hundred IQ points is really, really, really fucking smart. Like we may not feel like that, right? We, cause you haven't read Nietzsche and because you don't understand. That's not fair. No, 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 no. I, this is not direct. No, no. Let me, let me, let me take some of the air out of this. This is absolutely not directed at you. (laughs) This is directed at let me just, this is directed at me 10 years ago. This was fucking me. This isn't you. This is me. This is, this is, well, have you read the research on this? Well, actually, no, that's not what that, the, the habitus is. This is what the habitus means. Like, mm-hmm. no, actually you don't understand. See what you haven't figured out is that you don't understand the implicit bias that mm-hmm. affects uh, policing and what mm-hmm. this does to like, this is how I fucking talked to people, mm-hmm. talked ah. down to people. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that I can't say those things. That doesn't mean I can't say, Oh, Hey, like have you, but it means that I wasn't really listening to them. Mm. I was explaining to them what they didn't get about mm. the world. Mm. And I was a fucking arrogant prick and I was wrong. Mm. It was wrong for me to talk to other people that way. And so uh, so this isn't directed at you, Seb. I don't know. I, it, honestly, in my experience of you, you don't really talk down to people in your interpersonal no. interactions. When no, I, I, I generally I mean, I've known don't. You many, no. I've known you many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And this is not how you come off mm-hmm. at all. That mm-hmm. may be how you feel, mm-hmm. fine. And I obviously, but you do not come off that way. Mm-hmm. Far more effectively than I, than I ever did. Probably even now, still, mm-hmm. even though I'm being self, even though I'm consciously trying to 
modulate how I talk mm-hmm, to people mm-hmm, now. You're mm-hmm. probably still better at it than I am. So I really am not directing it at you. It's just that you brought up something that I that I is something that I I think really does succinctly identify it. You I were being unguarded about your feeling about it. That I appreciate. Um, sorry, no, I just saying, I, was, I apologize. I, I thought you were done. I was just going to say I appreciate what you says. Travis, but also the thing I got from you, Seth, about the way you laid that out, I got exhaustion. Mm. Like I don't have mm. time <laughs> to, mm-hmm. the author is dead. <laughs> Derrida, the mm. text, we're just dealing with the text, you know? And so mm-hmm. it made me feel, I was like, I just get a sense of exhaustion of having to, mm-hmm. or thinking you might have to, or being in a conversation with someone who wants to go, but what did the author mean after you've done the analysis or you're starting the analysis and you're like, what do you think? Where's your, where's your, um, start there. And actually I like both positions because at times I'm interested in the reason why um, people do stuff. But I think the privilege we have today is that the author's alive or the artist is alive. Whereas before we had to only deal with the painting. We only had to deal with the thing, you know? I don't know. Just thoughts. Yeah, I, I think no. I, I'm no, no. I'm I'm with you. I would say where I I think the disjunction is, and and if we want to talk about the the artist piece of it, like I philosophically, I'm on your side of that issue, Seth. I think the artist, the maker, um, has a data point in the thing that they've made, but that there's so many like psychological and psychoemotional. The roiling us as humans that we don't have a handle on the shit that we're doing most of the time. So we're not necessarily going to be, so I'm, I'm actually a hundred percent on your side of that. I also think it's pretty natural for the average person. Like if you see a person like, you know, carving something, you like walk up like, Oh, what are you doing? Like, it's very natural to go and just ask that person like, Oh, what was this about? Even though, you know, it may not be, it may not be that the information may not be that, that useful where I think the jump happens to, to sort of the disjunction in classes in this country is that we took that, which I think is a very valid and useful and rich discussion to have, or even uh, again, I'm probably a little bit more with you to kind of shut down because like, I don't need you to make the, uh, the, the artist or the writer, the arbiter of this entire work. That's not going to get us very far. So, so I, again, totally with you on that, but to say that about the freedom convoy, to say that about people uh, that feel economic precarity, to say that about people that feel cultural precarity. I mean, that's just as important. We're we're fully symbolic primates, right? We we manipulate and care and die for symbols. We literally die for symbols. Yeah, you know, no. like yeah. fucking geometric shapes and totally abstract ideas that can't exist in the material universe, like liberty. There's no liberty. You're gonna die. Like, I I mean. <laughs> Those things, but but yet we will fight over those things. We'll struggle over those things. I think it is we're talking about presumptuous, Russia right now. Yeah. and I, th- yeah, right, right, Russia, like Russia, like you know the Ginsburg, Russia, 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 them damn Russians, them Russians are screaming mad. You know, the, I mean, the, well, I'm actually just talking about the war and the symbology. You know, oh, this okay. is our <laughs> this is ours. You know, that's what I was thinking. But right, yeah, oh, right, I just right. wanted to yeah <laughs> clarify. <laughs> So anyway, I mean that's that's actually <laughs> my my mis my misinterpretation is a good place to read a stop. So the uh, the anyway, that's just what I'm saying. I think that jump causes a problem. I don't. I feel like it's okay to be exhausted and turn away from those things. I feel like it's a problem when we want to shut down other people's engagement and and feeling about those things. Uh, um, agreed to a great extent. Uh, I think one of the things that this conversation is making me understand about myself is that I, um, I am very tired of certain conversations, not mm-hmm. just the ones around the, um, the death of the author, but things like, um, I mean, we can go back to the expertise conversation, really, like this notion that in some ways, because expertise, experts rather, as Travis um, argued vehemently um, during that discussion, <laughs> our, our, our political animals have a dog in the fight in some, 
in some respect, way, shape, form, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that they have to be vetted as well as anybody else. Um, yes. And mm-hmm. I understand that. My tendency, though, is to say that, and this this is something that, that I think this is the way that culture shifted, perhaps because people in um, in the parts of the country that don't, have access to the large megaphones like that that maybe the quote unquote cultural elites do. I really don't like that term, but okay, we're we're here, we'll use it. Um mm-hmm. perhaps because they've felt the scorn of these elites. They've responded in these particularly um angry ways, um, or um collectively resistant ways to what I think Travis would call like the over overarching narrative. Perhaps because, because, because perhaps because they've been subject to that scorn, they um, are digging in their heels and saying, "Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not going to get vaccinated." That's you know, Bill Gates, whatever sure. you know, is going no to try to try to try to track me. Well, I guess my response is, um, I still believe. I still believe in that moment before the cultural turn where people started to place themselves as equals with experts started to say that 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 because they have a political position therefore what they say to me about this thing is invalid like before we made that i i i am still of the mindset that and 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 fundamentally believe that if someone is recognized by their community as an expert right so um epidemiologists in good standing among the in the epidemiology community, say mm-hmm. something. I'm going to give that a hell of a lot more credence than I am. Um, the woman who has a child with autism who swears up and down that the child was fine before they got the MMR vaccine. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Sure, but I, of course, I. But I that your example, I feel like I feel like it doesn't capture the moment that we are, you know, at the tail end of that moment, although I don't think it's done. I mean, COVID will be back in the spring and I don't know yay. how people, oh, I mean, people are going to flip out and lose their shit. Yeah. But, but leaving that aside, the, the, the real issue is that there were experts, tenured pedigreed epidemiologists who did not agree with this approach and they right. were excoriated and, and eviscerated Mm-hmm. On in legacy and in new media. Okay, so I want to just bracket aside the the um, the pandemic just for a moment because I do think that it's kind of a limit um, uh, event. I think that it's so it's so pervasive. It was so um, it was so far reaching that in some ways mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of knocked the gyroscope off its um, off its. Um, its orientation, right? So I think let's just bracket aside the pandemic for a moment because I just think it made it made people crazy in lots of different ways, right? I'm talking mm-hmm. about culture um, that's being fought, um, and I think this is you know let's go get this back to Joe Rogan. I think that the ways that culture is being fought um, uh, or being contested is really about one of the ways, one of the fronts at least is, and Joe Rogan fits in here. He brings on guests to talk about things like, but in implicit ways, like Elon Musk, right, is is given a platform to talk for two hours about mm-hmm. um, LSD Elon and Musk marijuana stuff, yeah. and his family life, right, right. <laughs> but but what doesn't happen, and, and I and I I don't know, you know, I don't know this for sure because I haven't listened to the episode, but the kind mm-hmm. of thing that I want to have addressed when you have someone like that on is like, so what's your position vis-a-vis unions and why, because what I've heard, what I've read about him is really why is he's, he's vehemently against them. Yes. Strenuously mm-hmm. against them. Why is that? And do, and what does, what does collective bargaining, the history of it mean to you? Like I want, I want that, those kind of but questions. That's not answered. Joe Rogan's job. He doesn't, if he wanted that job, that would be what he, that would be the question he would ask. That's not what he's interested in doing. Mm. There are other people to do that. Mm. Like, I don't, okay, I, I think it's fair. fine. So if you want like to see what happens when Elon Musk lights up a doobie and that's the extent of like what you want to talk about with him, mm. like, 
fine. Who cares? I mean, you know, I don't find it particularly interesting. I don't um, at all. Not, but we're mm. not the audience, man. <laughs> like, yeah, you no, and I, I are it. clearly I not yeah. what that is intended for. And and again, to talk to my my previous self, right, and not you. Like this is to the way I would previously read that mm. is that it's it's beneath me. Right. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's not beneath me. It's just not me. And and there's that's and that's okay. That's yes, I appreciate that clarify that 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 preciseness. Mm. Because the notion of something being beneath you, you know, it's a judgment, but it's also it's like, who mm-hmm. the fuck are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I think it keeps you more nimble intellectually and, mm-hmm. and empathetically, I think. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I th- I think it does. I'm positive I would have hated myself at 35. <laughs> I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm just positive if I had met myself at 35. So, Seth, you are a saint for being for being uh, my best friend at 35. So no, not at all. No, not at all. No, 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 no. Because I was I was still very much um, lost and trying to figure out myself and my place in the world, for sure. And I was flailing around, and I remember being quite. Um, arrogant too. I mean, you know, part of the problem, frankly, was that I didn't go. I I do think it was it would have been in some ways better for my intellectual development if I'd gone to a better undergrad school, um, school okay. for undergrad, because I was at mm-hmm. Long Island University Brooklyn campus, and frankly, I was just always one of the smartest kids in the room. And I think at twenty three, mm-hmm. I was twenty three to twenty seven when I when I did my undergrad degree. I think it would have benefited from having some students or other students around me who like could intellectually kick my ass. Like I would have been, I would have been like, Oh, I need to read. I need to read more. I need to catch up because I remember being in a poli sci class with one of the grad students, grad students, like we had this, like some seminar where we got together with them. And I remember her talking and I remember being like horrified. Like I was like, Oh my God, like you're a grad student. And this is how you talk about things. Like, Uh. like, I feel like that would happen if you were at an Ivy too. I've heard some stupid shit come out of graduate students' mouths that are at like very pedigreed universities. No, 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 right, no, for sure, that for sure that happens. Uh, and I'm, but I'm saying, I, I, I think, I think I said better universities. So I didn't, I didn't make like, I'm not like. Oh no, saying, I just went to best. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you didn't right, do that. Your, I, your, I did. Right, right. <laughs> in 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 a, in a certain estimation, right. So not necessarily yeah. best. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, no. Right, right. So yeah, but I mean, you know, I might have had a better education at Bennington College or something. Like I, you know, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, I think that that experience um, kind of skewed things for me. But then I went to grad school at UC Irvine, okay. and then I was some really around some really fucking smart people, and I remember being like, oh okay, I really don't know much. Um, and then I went to grad school in London and I was around some even smarter people. And I was like quiet. <laughs> I was like quiet for a really long time and spent okay. a lot of hours in the British library trying to, trying to catch up. Um, I, 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 there's, there's, a, there, there's another thing I want to say is um, my good friend, Laura, Laura Van Stratton, um, used to date this guy, Peter. And we were at Laura's house for this big kind of uh, party. And um, we, they were sitting in this sort of like, um, sort of like, I want to I call it ante room. Yeah. Um, mm. Before you get into the house okay. proper. And we were at a table and they were, I, I came along when the discussion was already sort of in full bloom. And they were talking about sort of, all I, rem- I don't exactly know how to, summarize what they were saying, but I remember okay. Peter being ad- very adamant about there being a kind of group of people, I think Travis would call them at least, I'm not sure what I'd call them, who, the way Peter described it, they have access to the megaphone, they have access to the microphone, to, mm-hmm. they, they are able to step up and speak to lots of people. And they treat other people who, especially around the issues of race, who are asking to some, in some instances, are really asking genuine questions about like how to negotiate their position and their understandings of race and, um, uh, and power and class. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the people with the microphones often just look down on them, often just shout them down and just say, you don't mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. 
you're not saying this the right way. It's they, them, you know, kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. people, some people, not all, but a lot of people, he would argue, get a step away from that experience thinking, uh, uh, oh, I, um, I, uh, I I see your scorn of me, and I raise you my contempt of you, right? Like, mm-hmm. they go away from those interactions thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know how to talk about this thing. Like, what I heard in, in my family growing up was that um, black people should be treated equally, so I don't understand why they keep asking for reparations. I just don't understand that kind of thing. And I want to say that... Peter's argument holds some water for me. I mean, I, I, I do think there are people who I want to have nothing to do with. Like, I'm not interested in having any kind of conversation with Robert, Roger Stone or with Enrique Tariq, uh, Enrique Tariq, the guy who started the Proud Boys. Yeah, that guy. Um, the Cuban. And, yeah, the guy that Black just got con- yeah. convicted mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I don't, I'm not interested in talking with those people. But there are people who are like, you know, might might tune into the podcast to hear what Roger Stone has to say about whatever, mm-hmm. um, who I might end up being on sitting next to on a flight to wherever. Right. And then we might like start, start a conversation and he might start, start off the conversation something saying stuff is stupid. Like, yeah, I don't understand what the, why people keep yelling about reparations. Like my family came here with nothing and blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and, and then it's on me. It's incumbent on me in that moment to decide. Do I want to be, do I want to do, do I have the energy and the wherewithal and the patience, um, and the mm-hmm. generosity to get into this with this human being right now? Levels of engagement. What do I, mm-hmm. right? What do I want to get out of this if I decide to do that? Um, what, what's sort of like, what, what's the best case outcome? What's the worst case outcome? And do I, and, mm-hmm. and am I okay with either one of those? And mm-hmm. the way, and the way I feel yeah. these days is that I'm just so tired that I would, I would mm. just, I probably check, I'd probably check out. I'd probably be like, well, I'm just going to read my paper over here. You, you, you handle that. Who is that kind of, so, so I want to just go back a bit and say that I believe that there, and I'm sure you run into these people too, Seth, artists mm. who go, what I said is in the art. I'll see you later. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. and I was looking for a, um, <laughs> looking for on the internet a moment ago, a letter I remember reading, I think it was in the daily, um, the UK daily or whatever it's called, um, telegraph or something that this woman mm. writes her. It was an art. It was an article about a woman who wrote her publisher and said, I told you, I'm living here with my sons and my husband, and I'm not promoting this book. Her recent her two previous books did well. And she goes, but we already mm-hmm. went through this. And it was one of the nicest, this is the line, email, I mean, you know, letters I'd ever read. <laughs> but it was like, mm-hmm. I, I kept thinking yeah, about what yeah. you said about um, the thing itself, like do the work on the thing itself. You know, where, mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. do you need to bring in this other person or this, uh, you know, what were your intentions again? They should be right. in the book. Yeah. <laughs> they should be in the art. Yeah. Right. Read so I just want to go back to Let me check my notes. Page page 14. I think you should go there. Right. And I, and, and I say that, well, any um, com- conflict with, I love listening to interviews with artists. I love listening, reading Paris Review articles, mm-hmm. you know, where they long interviews. I'm like, love all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I, sure. I don't see it as being sure. a contradiction. If I were a critic, though, I think I think I'd feel closer to it how you feel, um, mm. Seth, because I also feel like people are humans, <laughs> and their people are humans. They might be one yeah. in, want to be in on something more than they need to be, and I'm thinking mm. Morrison and a few other writers were like that too. It's like, did you read the book? <laughs> but what did you mean by this? And and so. Some women and some other folks, I'm sure, just writers themselves. It's like so. They, they get impatient with the process of the interview because it's like, so you didn't mm-hmm. do your work and now you want me to do your work for you in this interview. And mm-hmm. I would rather talk about something else with you. <laughs> do you know? Mm-hmm. So, or, you know, so there's that. And the second thing is that, that level of just using your, um, your story about being on a plane, <laughs> by the way, Parker Posey has a really wonderful book called you're on a plane. That's the title. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you get the beginning of a story and then you read the book and you get her quirky, just thoughtful, mm. engaging sensibility. I love you, Parker Posey. Yeah, you should yeah. listen to our podcast. Um, mm. But yeah, so you, if you're on a plane with someone and then they say something like that or they say something that pricks your skin or just go, oh, gravy. Mm-hmm. And you weigh how you're going to engage that person, right? Mm-hmm. I strive to hear and and pay attention to people who I think inside are kind of like, this won't turn into a personality thing. This will always be from the way I approach it. The the thing we're talking about. So it'll be, well, so Mm -hmm. what do you think? Mm -hmm. They might interview that person. What makes you think that? Okay. You know, okay, great Mm -hmm. thing. um, I'm looking, could you bring me some crackers, please? And peanuts, (laughs) you know, because, (laughs) <laughs> the, what I'm saying is that you you allow people to have and and be empathetic to someone's how about those niggas and still kind of like have a space where you're not engaging them on that level. You're like, so what mm. makes you want to believe this thing that you believe, you know, where you can get grant them some grace and some space without jumping in and wrestling with them. Right. Mm. You, you really take apart the idea. I mean, if that's the mm-hmm. case, you just mm-hmm. might want to interrogate the idea and say, I'm curious about why you think that. Some of my best mm-hmm. conversations, and they are far too few, and I want to have more in the future, is where I, mm-hmm. I recede into the shadow, and I just want to hear what you think about this thing. Mm-hmm. And we can talk, mm-hmm. and I can get where you're going with it, and then say, well, here, I, I, I don't believe that, or I go here, and this is the reason why. So civil mm-hmm. discourse mm-hmm. to me and right now isn't something that I see a lot of, either on the internet mm-hmm. or in person. Mm-hmm. People are just mad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to show up with Roger Stone either. Like I said, you know, boom. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a position or if I'm in a situation where I have some something inside of me wants to go, so are you the thing I think you are? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps me, I think, be more human or be more engaged. Mm-hmm. But also... At the same time, you don't have to say shit. You're not mm-hmm. obligated to say anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like someone's mm-hmm. obligated, I mean, wants to yeah. speak, sure. But you also have the right to just go, okay, anyhow, and go back, mm-hmm. put on your headphones. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. I think there are all these, the range of things. Sometimes when I when I hear you talking stuff, I think the under it is a an expectation that you must respond to these things in the way that people sh- mm-hmm. give them to you. And that yeah, that's and the exhaustion. Do you know? You yeah. do, you do to, uh, and then just as kind of a handoff and then to let you say what you're going to say, Seth, is no, no, I, I do sense, I mean, in having known you for a very long time, um, th- there is a sort of a sense of oblige of obligation that you seem to feel when, when, uh, when you're just kind of interacting with people Um uh, to be sort of considerate and listen and to kind of give yourself, you know, to that situation and be present because you value that as mm. much as you do. Um, uh, I, that definitely reads is, is true for me in my experience with you. So, yeah, well, I think part of the reason I'm like that is that, uh, I think I just, I'm, I'm really, really firmly rooted in this idea that I want to not do to people what, other people have done to me. Stuff. I think you're cutting out. At least on my end. Sorry, sorry. Um, How's this? It was on mine as well. Okay. It's it's better. Um, I I, I don't want to do to people what has been done to me in the past that has felt really hurtful. And and, and Mm -hmm. one of the worst, one of the worst things that I've experienced is, is being in a, in a place and, and trying to engage with someone uh, or yeah, trying to engage with someone and having them just like, just ignore me. Just like they yeah. just treat me as if like I'm beneath their dignity to yeah. respond to. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and yeah. I I just I just I just don't want to do that. It's just fundamental mm-hmm. to me. To sort of, um, I you know I use this analogy a lot, and but it works for me. I just want to leave the place better than I found it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. when, when I, when I use a public restroom, I want the person who comes after me to mm-hmm. have a better experience or as good as, as the experience I had, um, um, in that place. Uh, so I don't want to, I, I really want to leave a legacy, I think, of, uh, at least in public conversation mm-hmm. of 
being someone who is available and open, I don't ever want to mm. be that person at the book signing who's like, you know, <sighs> scribbles, scribbles the signature <laughs> and ha- hands it back mm. to them without making mm. eye contact. Without right? making just eye like, contact. Saying, or yeah, gratitude. Yeah. Someone's reading your dumbass book. Yeah. Or right? yeah, pretends to. Yeah. <laughs> no one has to right? do anything. Right, right, right. 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 <laughs> right? It's like, I just, I just that's, that's the nightmare for me. I don't want to be that person. So yeah, I end up... I do end up putting out a lot of energy, um, and I end up, and I do end up doing a fair amount of acting throughout the day. You know, like I'm like, okay, okay I'm yeah. just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, pretend to be okay, great. What did you think about this? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things, uh, you, you know, and I know I hate to blame everything on social media because I, you know, social media is us, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's human beings mm. uh, engaging and doing and making things, but but one of the one of its most uh, insidious and pernicious effects is that it takes your id and turns it into something that was produced by your entire personality over hundreds of years, mm. and that, i.e. writing. Mm. So previously, you know, prior to, you know, 20 or 19, you know, or I guess, you know, the early 2000s, if you were to spend time writing something to someone. Mm, this is yes. something that you would have to labor over. You would have to engage with, you would have to, I mean, you might scribble a note to your, you know, air conditioning repairman to, you know, you know, watch the dog or something like that. But in general, the things that you're producing that you're writing is being filtered through all of your faculties, your higher faculties, your lower faculties, mm. your consideration, your time, the, uh, the rhythms of your day. And so what was produced at the end of that was something of weight, was something of substance. Mm. Uh, Social media has radically transformed that. And Mm. now what we can write is, in many cases, unfiltered id. Mm. It's it's just, Mm. it's it's impulse, especially with like retweeting and liking. If we're we're talking about just Twitter or sharing, I guess on Facebook or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like... This is just your id, like just your, your, not for everyone. And I'm not saying everyone does this, but, but this is a lot of what social media is, is it unleashes your id on writing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. On this kind of second order thinking, something mm-hmm. that's born out of second order thinking. Mm-hmm. And we have not adjusted to that. I don't know that we can adjust to that because pre, we were all trained right up until now that writing is something of weight. Like here's this book, here's this thing. Someone wrote this down. Like yes. these are these are the 10 commandments. I mean, what did God do to be taken seriously by the fucking Israelites? He wrote it down. Even God had to fucking write it down, right? <laughs> like so like so so no, but I'm saying like writing carries yeah, no. that kind of weight for yes. human communities. And now mm. our writing is just, it's, it's the duplication, reduplication and regurgitation of just emoting. We're constantly emoting, emoting, emoting. Yes. And it's poisoning mm-hmm. the well. That. And it's, po- it's like, like when your toilet backs up, eventually it comes into the whole house, you know, mm. it'll ruin the second, third, fourth mm. floor. Mm. And I feel like that's a lot what's happened with, with these more august institutions like mm. the New York Times, the Washington Post, and all of these other things, like the kind of the backup of just id in emotion has has really, I I, th- I I I know it's loaded, but I really do feel has nearly ruined these institutions. I mean, nearly ruined them. Um, mm. and I mean, to the point of no return, I feel like we're approaching it. I mean, that's, I know that, that, uh, you, you, mo- you may not agree with me on that. And, and I understand that, but I do feel that it's, it's really perilous at this moment because, because of how this, this tool, this social media tool. Mm. So maybe I mean, Joe Rogan, maybe the values and sorry, go ahead, Stephen. Oh, so I was just thinking about the notion of, the, these august institutions you're you're talking about very briefly is the if there be if there if the idea is that we need to be the first to have the story or we need to keep people you know keep the business mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. yes it's over mm-hmm. <laughs> because because mm-hmm. it's money right. Right. that's it you know because mm-hmm. when you say how do we come back from that I was thinking was there a back to come from I mean was there a front is it always feels like these institutions mm-hmm. look like we look you know, and look like that moment. So I was on the freeway in my mind thinking, where's a good off ramp for this (laughs) in terms of 
because I don't think that social media, I think if anything, it'll probably be ramped up. Someone's already thinking about some other kind of way to make money and it's going to pop up on like TikTok or, you know, and because. For sure. Absolutely. Because the id thing is, it's a really, I'm so happy you said that. Um, but I, but I'm, I'm kind I'm un, unnecessary, not unnecessarily. I don't have a reason why I'm optimistic. I just feel like it, these also could present different ways of engaging with each other that don't necessarily rely on the way we did sure. in the past. Right. So well, anyhow, well, that's, that's well, my polyannish way of kind being in. Polyannish. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe that as polyannish, but, um, Maybe, maybe, maybe Joe Rogan sort of represents um, the sort of the id and the um, the super ego because you know there's a way mm. in which his podcast is is I mean to the extent that he lets the guests talk and talk and talk for two hours. Um, mm-hmm. There's a way in which there's a kind of thoughtfulness that I imagine does emerge out of that. Like you, you just you do get to a place where you are. Um, you are uh, allowing listeners to just do the analysis themselves. So there's that, mm. but mm. Did you, you know, there's this other side of Joe Rogan, which is he's the um, he does the play by play for these MMA fights, right? Where it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. like pure id, right? Like it's just an- <laughs> two men, literally in a cage, like trying to destroy each other, right? So you know, in some ways, actually. Now that I say it out loud, like him doing this other very sort of thoughtful thing on the side kind of makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, Interesting. I, I don't know how thoughtful Joe Rogan is about what he does. I mean, I really just don't know. Right. right? I mean, I know the clips I see and, and whatnot and, yeah. um, yeah. and you know, I have no idea, mm. but I, I do know that if we don't, if, in my in my kind of ham-fisted and, and inadequate analogy, you know, the way that you deal with a sewer system that is inadequate or insufficient to handle the population is you expand the sewer system. You've got to you've got to have lots of places for the, exp- the our our expression of waste to go mm-hmm. right all all of the effluvium that we, we produce throughout the day and Oof. I don't I mean we haven't gone here with the conversation and we don't have to I'd probably not enough time to but I do feel like some of it at a very base level is just kind of a basic expurgation of uh, mortal anxiety oh yeah that that a lot of a lot of what we are preoccupied with and I mean I am one thousand percent including myself in that is really me just sort of exercising awareness of my own finitude and death. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't talk about that. It'd be a pretty boring podcast if that was what we always talked about or whatever, because I don't feel that way in the moment, right? Like, I really care. I was really upset about, you know, you know shutdowns and vaccines and COVID and all that stuff like yeah. that. That wasn't, I wasn't performing. Like, I really felt that. It was in my chest, you know, mm-hmm. in my gut, whatever. But, but I mean, in reality what all of that emoting is probably about for all of us all the time is just sort of baseline frustration and or joy, right? I mean, just sort of like this pleasure of being in a body with, you know, this, this atmosphere and, you know, water and other bodies and, and sex and food and, you know, like sunrise, all this stuff, like just kind of all the madness that is creation. And we're just in these bodies experiencing this inadequately, mm-hmm. partially, frustratingly, right? Mm-hmm, Over, mm-hmm. Overwhelmed. And so I do, I, we've got to have places for all of this to go. We have to have places for all of this energy to go. And if you try and shut that down, it gets all pent up and people get really mad and pissed off. Right. And then they do start knocking the shit out of each other, like really, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, so that, 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 if I was to extend the analogy out, that, that would be what it's no. I don't know how much higher thinking is happening in Joe Rogan. I just know that there's a lot of like getting shit out and connecting mm. with people, right. Over uh-huh, what trivial shit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, I appreciate the, um, the story. It's useful. I guess we should stop. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, About that time, I, so we, yeah. It, it, yeah. Well, and, and speaking of super mundane stuff, the the air conditioning repairman is here. So, there you <laughs> go. so I have to, I, I have to, to wrap up. But, yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Well, um, so I, I sort of enjoyed last time that we, uh, we had figured out what we were going to talk about in two weeks. Cause it was nice to not have to like have our scramble, you know, the, yeah, the, week, the yeah. few days before do you, uh, Steven, Steph, do you guys have anything that you want to talk about, uh, in two weeks? I mean, we're, uh, Steph, you do something. Back. Me? What are you, what are you interested in right now? What's uh, pricking your consciousness or something that's preoccupying <sighs> you? Oh man. Um, uh, ducks. Um, I don't know. I lately have been thinking about storytelling really about, you know, the class I'm teaching, um, at the New York times school. Um, yeah, well, um, Oh, there's this thing, actually, maybe we could talk about, well, maybe we could talk about this. Um, there's this thing that Jayshree Abhichandani said in my class yesterday. She's a, a, a curator and an artist. And she was talking about a show that she put together. And uh, in the show, the, all the walls were red. And she mm. and the show was ostensibly about love, but she said that coming from where she comes from, she's um, Southeast Asian, she's from India. She said um, red also represents anger. And one of the women in the class said, well... Um, you know, was it, how was it for you to like have that sort of hap- happen at the same time? Like the show be about love, but also on, on some level in your head, it was about anger too. And she's like, yeah, it's, it's, I, sometimes some people don't need to know that. Like that was just for me. And another woman said, well, is it, is it, is it, is it, uh, what about, you know, women being angry? What do you think about that? Like is, um, and she basically, Jay, she said, uh, I think women should be angry. I think, um, it, it don't, it, women should not be afraid to be angry. They don't need to run away from that because sometimes being angry will save your fucking life. So, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I want to do something around that, like around women expressing their anger, being angry, um, a space for that and what that means. Like, could it, does, does, is it, is that, I mean, do we agree with that? Is that, is it possible? Is it the case that sometimes if a woman expresses her anger, it could save her life? Absolutely. Without a doubt. I'm just thinking yeah. about the story. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. we can. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we can ship. So yeah, I mean, say, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but what were we going to say, Stephen? I was just thinking about the larger idea around emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. And how, what we're responding to in terms of a woman being angry and then being called a ball buster or a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things, but yeah, I, I don't mind. That's, that's fun. I mean, not fun, but it's yeah. an interesting idea to explore. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So women, uh, next week, uh, the three men here are going to <laughs> talk to you about being angry. Hey, I came from a woman. <laughs> I think you guys did too. We came from women. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. So, all right. Um, okay. Until uh, next good, time. Good to see you guys. Until next time. Right. Yeah. Good to see you. Bye. Bye. Bye.